Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host, Albert, and this is the first episode. Each episode, I'm planning on talking uh, about a specific solitaire game, describe it, and hopefully give you an idea if you think it's a game you'd want to play, and also talk on some subject related to solitaire games. In this episode, I'm going to talk about solitaire games in general, what they are, what types of games are played solitaire, and kind of give you an idea what I'll be covering in the future. And I'm also going to talk about one game, Onirim, by Z-Man Games. So I came up with a list of ten types of solitaire games, or in some cases, ways to play solitaire games. I'm going to go through each one, talk about what it is, and give you some examples of games. This is my list, and this is the way I see things, and I'm sure folks will disagree on some of the subjects. There's also overlap in the different areas, and some games might fit more than one category. And whatnot. that's fine, but this is this is a good place to start with, I think. So first we have solitaire games. Games designed exactly for one player. These kinds of games, you're generally either trying to beat the system and just finish the game to win, maybe with a score, or maybe or it could be games where you're playing against a computer-controlled opponent with some sort of AI to control its movements. Generally, the AI is not going to be intelligent as if you were playing another person, but that's one of the trade-offs of being able to play solitaire, I think. Most of these games I could come up with are war games. I don't know if they mostly are war games or not, but some examples include Ambush, uh, B-17, Queen of the Skies, Bindle Rails, the print-and-play train game, and Patience, the the game you play with 52-card deck. and it, It's more of a category than an actual game. I think there's a lot of different Patience games, and they're all slightly different. In Ambush, B-17, well, in Ambush and B-17, you're playing against an opponent, a virtual opponent, and the computer control in ambush the, the game actually controls it in B17. They just sort of sit there and get shot at, I guess. Bindle rails, you're sort of playing against a system trying to finish. There is no real opponent, and in patience, you're again just trying to finish the game without dying. The next category is cooperative games. These are games where all the players are working together to beat the system. There there are other cooperative games in which maybe there's one person being a dungeon master or controlling the game and everybody else is playing together as a team. Or there are cooperative games where one person might be a traitor and is playing with you but you don't know that they're actually going to turn on you later. Really, in, in this category, I'm only talking about the first set of cooperative games. Everybody's playing together to beat the system. The other ones don't work as well as a solitaire game. Four examples are Red November, Lord of the Rings by Reynard Knizia, Vanished Planet, an older sci-fi game, and Onirim, the game we're going to talk about later. The next category would be games for one or more players. Usually in these games, you're competing for a high score, and... Everybody's sort of doing the same thing. At the end, whoever has that high score wins. I think a lot of these work as a solitaire game because they're basically multiplayer solitaire. You could almost take out all your opponents and not change the gameplay at all. 
there is some difference. It depends on the amount of interaction between the players. But the less each having other players impacts the gameplay, the the better solitaire experience it probably is anyway. So some examples of this. I only got three written down for some reason. They're Agricola, Empire Builder, the train game, really the entire series of uh, Crayon Rail games, Yahtzee, which is a very simple game. Just roll the dice and see what your score is at the end. And again, it doesn't matter how many people you have. Through the magic of audio recording, you probably don't realize I just took a 10-minute break to to get my kids back in bed. However, in that time, I remembered another game that probably fits in this category. Outdoor Survival by Avalon Hill. This probably also fits in another category I'm going to talk about later called Experience Game. But in this game, regardless of how many players, at least in the first scenario, the goal is to get off the board alive. It's just as fun whether you're playing by yourself with a number of, any other number of people. You're just as likely to die either way. Okay, so the next section, we just covered a cooperative, no, we just covered games for one or more. The next section is puzzle games. These are games where the goal is to solve some sort of puzzle. Usually the, you need to solve it faster than everybody else. These games are, work as a solitaire game because it's usually just fun to solve the puzzle, sort of as a leisure activity. A couple games in this category, four games in this category are set. The card game in which you're trying to find matching patterns. Trivial Pursuit. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's actually fun or not, but you know, once in a while it's not bad to pull out a deck of cards and just read through them and see how many you can answer on your own and learn something, maybe. Another game is Ricochet Robot, where you're trying to find the shortest route from the robot to the go. Um, in the multiplayer game, the, the goal is to see who could find the shortest path. The playing solitaire, you could just see what paths you can find. Another one is uh, Ubango. In that one, the goal is to fit um, Tetris-like pieces on a board, and whoever f fits the pieces in faster will win. There's actually multiple boards you play on, and multiple tries, and after a number of rounds, whoever done it the best wins. But anyway, that works as a solitaire again because you're just trying to solve the puzzle of fitting the pieces in. Sometimes it's actually pretty hard. The next category is dexterity games. This is a lot like the last one, like puzzle games. The difference here is it's sort of a test of skill. You're trying to balance pieces or throw pieces somewhere or whatever. Not my favorite category, but this is this could be fun because it's just a challenge to see if you can do the balancing or whatever the game is about. Uh, four examples are bottle tops, where you're trying to stack round discs on top of a bottle, wooden bottle. Another one is Jenga, where you're trying to take the pieces out and move them up higher and eventually your tower falls. Another one, which my kids love, is Snap Trap. You have the, a bunch of pieces in a grid held together with a spring, and you're trying to pull the pieces out without the whole thing popping up on you. And finally, Hula Hippo, which is a game where you're flicking hippos into a spinning ring. Again, to me, these are entertaining for a couple minutes. Not much more than that, but again, they work well solitaire. Category 6 is games with solo variants. This category is generally multiplayer games that have rules for one player. The one player rules are different from the normal multiplayer rules. Usually I think it simplifies the game, but not necessarily. A few examples are Chrononauts, which um, there's two, basically two types of cards in the, in the Chrononauts game, and the Solitaire version just uses one half of those cards. Zuloretto has an unofficial expansion on Board Game Geek, 
which has some minor modifications. Uh, Rosenkonig, that's a two-player game in the in the Cosmos two-player line. It doesn't have an official variant, but at one point I came up with some rules. It's basically just a puzzle. It uses the mechanics from Rosenkonig, but the gameplay is very different. And the fourth one is Ascension, Chronicle of the Godslayer. It's a deck-building game that came out recently. And on Board Game Geek, there's an expand or a solitaire variant posted for it. I think there's a couple different ones. I played one of them, and it wasn't too bad. It was fun, and it seemed like I had solved it relatively quick, but it worked, and it was definitely entertaining for the evening. Category 7, I call experience games. Sort of a non-category. Mostly, I think these are going to be a Merry Trash games. Basically, it's any game whose theme is so well developed that it, it's actually fun to play it just, just for the story of the, the game and just everything that happens during it. Some examples are Arkham Horror, which is also a cooperative game, Roombound, Formula Day, which is actually a Euro game and doesn't seem to fit in as well with these other games, but it's fun to race around the track even by yourself and it's just neat to see who's winning and who's losing and the position changes and all that. And another game which I'm guessing at some point I'll talk about in more detail called The New Dungeon by TSR Games, which is an update of Dungeon. And it's a dungeon crawl. There's a lot of dungeon crawl games out there. and Sometimes they're cooperative. Sometimes you're playing against each other. But again, it's just fun to go through the dungeon and have the experience of fighting all the monsters and the story of going up in levels and whatnot. Like cooperative games, this works best if everybody's on the same side as opposed to a bunch of players against the dungeon master. The next category is one that holds a dear place in my heart. These are game books. Um, when I was in 8th grade in the 80s, very early 80s, the Choose Your Own Adventure series of game books came out. In these, you read the book, it's a story, you're the main character, and at some point, a couple pages in, it tells you, okay, now choose, do you want to go left or do you want to go right? You pick one and it tells you which page to jump to. You go to that page and you keep reading and the story changes depending which choices you make. So as I said, Choose Your Own Adventure series is one. I think there's like 120 books in that series when it stopped and it just restarted again recently with it, with mostly, well, I was gonna say mostly with different books, but some different books and some are the same books. The, the first book in the original series is The Cave of Time and it's a classic. I still enjoy looking at that one every once in a while and reading through it. Another series is Middle Earth Quest or Tolkien Quest. It got renamed at one point. Those, those are really neat because they had a map in the book and you went through the map and you'd pick which space you're on and you'd travel along the map and depending on which page you're on you flip into the book and see what happens and finally you find the way into the dungeon and now you have a different map to look at at least that was one of the specific books but I think they all had color maps in, inside the book you also had character sheets which are really neat you'd build your character with statistics just like a, a role playing game and use that to go through the dungeon Another series is Catacombs by TSR. These were large size books. Um, it didn't happen by 11 size, I think. And again, these you had a character. They were pre-generated characters, and you went through and you rolled a die to to deal to the combat. Those were okay. The stories they were kind of lame, but they're they're still kind of neat. Uh, a fourth one is Fighting Fantasy Game Books. I never played those. Those are supposed to be pretty good. And again, those are ones where you have a, a character with statistics that you rolled for. The next category, number nine, is Playing Both Sides. 
this is basically playing a multiplayer game. You're controlling all the sides yourself. You know, if you're sitting at a table, you you player A, you take your turn, get up, go to the next seat. Now you're player B, you take your turn. Get up, go to the next seat, rinse, repeat, and keep playing until the game's over. Generally, this is going to be done more as a learning experience than for the sake of playing the game. But that's not always true. I don't think I'll be talking about these games that much in the future, but you know, we'll see, we never know. Okay, so four examples. The first example is one that breaks the rule. Men of Iron, The Birth of Infantry. Infantry. It's the first game in a series, and the second game just came out about five years later. And actually, I'm waiting for it to get shipped. It's published by GMT. The This game builds itself as a solitaire-friendly game. You're controlling two sides in the game, but one side generally stands still and doesn't do a lot. So yeah, you're playing two sides, but only one matters. At least that's my understanding or my interpretation of what I've read. I haven't played it yet, unfortunately. Another, the rest of these examples are games I have tried this way. Nautilus, uh, Mayfair Games, published I think in 2003 or so, um, where you're exploring the ocean and submarines. I played this one just to f see what it was like and learn the rules. Combat Commander Europe, I played this to learn the rules. Actually, it was fun to play. I don't think it would really work a lot, and I probably wouldn't do it often, because I really did sit on one side of the table, play as uh, the German side, get up and go to the other table and pick up my other deck for the Russian side, and just kept going back and forth. It was neat. It was a learning experience, but for me, it lost a lot of the tension of not knowing what your opponent has and what he can do. The fourth example is Blokus. The tile lane game, again, it's Tetris-like pieces. This doesn't work too bad. Lane tiles on the board. I'm just taking turns aside, but the problem with this category is that you have to not remember where your moves, where your intent is when you're playing the other sides, because it's really hard to, to strategize and trick yourself. The last category is RPGs. That's right, that doesn't seem like something you could play solitaire since they generally have a dungeon master or storyteller or whatever. Um, but some RPGs do actually bring solitaire scenarios, and there's even a, a game aid to play game, role-playing game solitaire. It's the Mythic GM Emulator. I haven't used it, but I've read a little bit about it. I don't know how it works, but it somehow replaces your, your GM. Uh, so that was the first item. A second one, Indiana Jones role-playing game from TSR from the 80s. It, it included a... In, in the main game it includes one scenario, which is basically just to teach you the rules, but it's for one player. If you have it, it's fun to try it. I've read that the Traveler role-playing game had some way to play it solitary. I don't really know much about it. I think you're basically going traveling around trying to make money. And I know there's some solitary scenarios for the Call of Cthulhu game by Chaosium. Um, one's called Alone Against the Dark. I think another one's Alone Against the Wendigo. There's two or three more. I had played one once, and I've seen the other, a couple of the other ones. And they're sort of like the Choose Your Own Adventure books, where you're going through, you, you pick a path, and then you go read a new chapter. So that's it. Those are the ten categories I've come up with. 
So this brings us to the game I'm going to talk about tonight. It is called Onirim, designed by Shady Torbay. Hopefully I pronounced that right. The art is by Elise Plessis, and the game was published by Z-Man Games last year in 2010. This falls into my second category of cooperative games. This is a one or two player card game. The theme is you're trapped in a dream and you're trying to escape. Let me read the, the text from the back of the box. You are a dreamwalker, lost in a mysterious labyrinth, and must discover the oneric doors before your dream time runs out, or you will remain trapped forever. Onirim is such a strange word. I looked it up, couldn't find anything, but I did find oneric, and it means of or pertaining to lucid dreaming. So I guess the Onirim are the lucid dreamers. You're one of them. I'm going to let you in on a secret now. This is actually the second time I record this episode. I went through and did a 15-minute recording to, as a dry run, try it out, see what it sounds like, how I did, and I made some changes. One of the things I did that I did not like at all is I went into a lot of detail explaining the rules. I am not a good rules explainer. I should probably avoid that in so much detail, so I'm not going to do that this time. I'm going to tell you about the game, kind of tell you how it plays, but not explain each card and, and all that. So as I said, this is a card game. It brings 109 cards in the box. I think about 70 are used in the base game. The rest are used in conjunction with three expansions that come in the game. So first, there are eight door cards. Your goal is to unlock these doors to win. The doors come two each in four different colors. Red, yellow, green, and blue. Or shades of that, I guess. The next type of cards are dream cards. In the base game, you only get nightmares. Generally, you want to avoid these. Whenever you draw a nightmare, you're, you're going to end up having discard cards either from your hand, or from the play area, or from the draw pile. Usually, it's a bad thing. Finally, there's a lot of labyrinth cards. The labyrinth cards come in the same four colors as the door cards. And there's three types of labyrinth cards. Sun cards, which are the most common. Um, moon cards. A uh, le little less common and key cards, and there's only three, I believe it's three in each color. When you're going to play the game, you shuffle all the cards together and draw five to form your hand. You can only ever have labyrinth cards in your hand. If you draw anything else, you set them aside and you'll shuffle them back into your draw pile at the end of your turn. When you're playing the game, the turn basically consists of play a card, draw a card. And that's basically it. The The way you play the cards is you play your labyrinth cards on the table in a line. Uh, whichever card you play first, doesn't matter. After that, the only rule that applies is the symbol on the card you play cannot be the same as the symbol on the previous card, regardless of the color. That That's one rule that always catches me, or at least I did a lot first. So, for example, you could play a red sun followed by a red moon and then another red sun. That's three red cards in a row. The symbols don't repeat two in a row. So that's enough to have found a red door. You go through the deck, find the red door and play it in front of you. At that point you could go ahead and play another red moon and now you've got sun, moon, sun, moon. That fourth card is not going to count for three red cards in a row. The first three are used up, you got to find another three in a row to get the next red door. Anyway, you keep doing this until either you run out of cards to draw from, or you have unlocked all eight doors, and at that point you win the game. 
I really like this game. This game is about hand management. It's really what it is. Having to decide which cards to keep and play, or sometimes which cards to discard because you don't have any good choices. And when you draw a nightmare card, you got to figure out how the heck to deal with it. And that can be stressful sometimes. I, I think it's a lot of fun. The game plays in about 15 minutes or so. The only drawback I can think of is there is an awful lot of shuffling. If you draw a, I think if you draw a door card, you could immediately play the door and unlock it if you have a matching key of that color in your hand. If not, it goes into a limbo pile. And that means that after drawing the next card, you're going to have to shuffle your deck again. So that could get annoying, but it's not a big deal. As the deck gets smaller, it gets easier. As I said earlier, this game is for one or two players. It's a cooperative game when you play as two players. I'm not going to spend much time talking about the two-player game. After all, I said this is a podcast on solitaire gaming. I will say that the one-player game and the two-player game feel very similar, though there are some small differences in the mechanics. You're working as a team. Either you both get out of the labyrinth or nobody does. So the game has three expansions. The first is called The Book of Steps, Lost and Found. The second is The Towers. And the third is Dark Premonitions and Happy Dreams. The three expansions had different types of cards each. Some go into the deck and get shuffled along with the deck, some don't. They all affect the gameplay differently and give you different things you can do or have to do. They also change the difficulty. I found that some some of the expansions made the game easier and others made it harder. And Depending on how you mix those three, that changes even more. So it, it's pretty neat. There's a lot of variety and you can change it for whatever mood you're in. That being said, ever since I got to to the point where I'm using all three expansions, I really haven't tried it differently again. I think I want to because there was one combination I found much harder. I want to go play that one some more. Anyway, in uh, summary, this it's a fun game. I'd say it's hard to go wrong for the price. I think it retails for about $10. It's hard to go wrong for the length of the game. It doesn't have a lot of depth. But it makes for it makes up for it in theme, I think, which admittedly is pasted on, but just really cool. Well, that's the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed our first show. If you want to contact me, you could find me as Fractaloon on Board Game Geek. You could geek mail me there, or you could contact me through the show notes on the podcast webpage. The intro music is copyright Angus. The Creative Commons attribution license and the music can be downloaded at gemendo.com. Thanks for listening.